This week, we're joined by Patrick Angwin, Director at Clanalytics, to discuss how asset managers can keep a property argument-free and what you shouldn't be putting in a trouser press. Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the podcast from New Dog PR. Uh, New Dog PR is me, Emily Newman, and she, Catherine Dogwell. How are you, Catherine? I'm very well, thank you, Emily. How are you? Right, it's Friday. I enjoy doing podcasts on a Friday. There's a sort of end of end of the week, end of term excitement brewing. Can you can you feel it? That's what that is. That's what. That is. <laughs> yes, yes. I did wonder, but then at the same time, I need to talk to my electrician, so it's hard to say. Ah, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's quite right. Is a full rewiring on the cars? No, I don't. No, I hoped I could fix it with a different light bulb, but that in fact was not the case. So I'm going to fix it by ignoring it. And assuming that it will self-heal. Okay, very good. That's a, that is a wise approach. Sometimes it works. Is that, is that an approach that has been signed off by your electrician? Shh, you might be listening. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go there. Right, we've got lots of news and bits and bobs to talk about. And um, Catherine, perhaps you can expertly lead us through that in a second. But I would be very much... Um, I think what we should do to start with before that is introduce our guest this week, uh, who is uh, very well known throughout the sector, um, Patrick Angwin, director of Analytics. Analytics. <laughs> it was in my mind. I knew I was going to do it. I knew I was going to do it, um, and I said it correctly, which is which is really the main the main point. Patrick, how are you? Well, thank you. And let me say, you're not the first to stumble over the name and you certainly won't be the last, so not to worry about it. But all the more memorable for it. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. I, maybe that was maybe that was subconsciously where I was going with it. Um, Patrick, how, how are you? How have you been? Um, very well, very well, thank you. Delighted to be speaking to you both. Um, it's been quite busy since the beginning of the year, which is great. Um, lots going on and lots in the offing, which is uh, exciting. And as you know, there's lots going on in our industry. So that's also you know, keeping me busy trying to keep tabs on what's going on, which is, uh, which is a challenge in itself. Never a dull day. Never a dull day. Uh, Ham, obviously, now we're recording the podcast. Buddy has uh, has decided to um, to join us to impart his wisdom on, lovely, the, lovely on the hotel investment sector. Buddy, the mic is all yours. It's all his. It's all his. Yes. Well, can you do the results in a minute? I just think was the was the demand. So uh, he can. He can. Um, so what happened this week? We had uh, Whitbread, uh, the new incoming incoming guy, uh, Dominic Paul, and he was very chipper about Germany, um, which was very interesting. It wasn't that interesting because they haven't done any massive deals there. And they need to do some massive deals there. And um, one of the interesting aspects of the Whitbread thing, of course, is that over here they're very popular with direct booking. And a significant, significant proportion of stuff is booked direct. And you can only do that if you have massive brand recognition. Um, so, which obviously they do not have so much in Germany, inevitably, where uh, Ibis is the is the dominant budget brand in that segment. And I was talking to James Bland at um, BBABDRC, and he said that the interesting thing about this play is that it is completely possible for them to do this. They've done it before. Um, back in 2006, they were lagging significantly behind Travelodge and significantly behind Hilton. Um, and now, of course, they're right up there. So it is possible. Of course, 2006 was a long time ago. 
Um, so, so one wonders about that, but um, they're sitting on a load of cash, and as ever, we would like them to buy the um, economy part of Accor. Accor had their results this week. Um, they are very chipper about the way things are going. They did not mention that they would be selling their economy bit to Whitbread, which made me very sad. Um, but back to the world of economy and Hilton, of course, who will know the whole sector is all about luxury, luxury, luxury at the moment. Um, but Hilton continued to launch things the the lower end while still talking about how luxury is everywhere. But maybe we should do this brand, maybe we should do that brand. And they are muttering about an extended stay uh, in the sort of mid-market, lower mid-market end of things, which could be very interesting indeed. But uh, back at the top end of the market, Hyatt, um, who are always very enjoyable and seem to be doing nothing but very good deals in the last few years, um, have bought Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And for people who used to watch Blackadder, you will be very pleased about this because it means you can do this impression all the time. Ah, Mr. Smith. Uh, so, yes, I don't think that's the marketing that they're looking for. But all very intriguing and, of course, difficult for IHG and anyone else who happens to already work with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, was this week's results in a minute. Ably, ably accompanied by Spuddy the Dog. Of course. Many, many thanks. Um, I was, we were out and about this week meeting people and uh, yesterday happened to be enjoying some uh, short stay summit action um, where really the overwhelming lesson learned was just how investors are piling into um, the, the ex- as you just mentioned, the extended stay, the vacation rentals, as the Americans like to call it. But Things as um, as the hotel sector has moved from something that investors sort of look at into the mainstream, now all these adjacent uh, operational real estate models are also coming far more into the uh, investor investor focus. So there was, yes, lots of chipper chat about that, which is very interesting. So yeah, gosh, what a jolly week we've had. What have you been doing, Patrick? Anything exciting? Um, well, it's a busy time of the month for me, for me and all asset managers who have to look at and report on and challenge their operators um, with numbers that come through or with, with a slight delay, more delay than we'd, than we'd like or expect. But uh, no, other than that, it's just, as I say, keeping an eye on trying to uh, understand what's going on. And as you say, it's been a busy week in those terms. I, I was on a, a conference call myself yesterday looking at um, investment and uh, PE investment in particular. And uh, that was quite interesting. Uh, interesting what you say about Germany, because uh, the information coming out of there was that there wasn't so much happening in Germany. Germany at the moment, uh, whereas there's a lot going on in southern southern Europe in terms of Spain and Portugal and Italy, um, but that things seem to have gone off a little bit off the ball in Germany. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. It will indeed. It will indeed. How is your operator challenging coming along, and what are people? What are you challenging them on? Is there lots of pushback? Um, well, obviously, there's there's quite a few headwinds at the moment for operators and as yeah, so as, as an asset manager trying to represent owners' interests, we often have some uh, interesting discussions. But obviously, I mean, we all know what the what the key headwinds are. Um, things like you know, energy costs obviously have been a big issue. Although I think hopefully we're starting to get over the sort of peak of that hill, and things are starting to look a little bit better there. I think. Um, payroll and, and staffing generally, so just the cost of payroll, but also the issue of finding um, the right staff and keeping them is a, a major headache, which certainly in, in portfolios I look after is probably 
the number one biggest issue we're having to face. Biggest mm. potential midterm issue, as in obviously energy was a, was a huge problem as well. As I say, we're a little hopefully getting past the worst of that. Whereas I think the issue of um, you know staffing and finding the right staff and hanging on to them and being able to afford them is something which is going to be a, a bit of a challenge for quite a while. How are relations between operators and owners these days? And you know, everyone will will recall what happened during COVID, and you know, the need for more alignment. Possibly there was more alignment, depending on which side of the line you were on. Um, has that all? Has everyone gone skipping off into the distance, holding hands, or have we reverted to two thousand and six, pulling a random date out of a hat? I think things are certainly better than they were, um, you know, I, I, and I think that reflects a number of things. Obviously, the COVID pandemic had an impact and caused a realignment of, of um, objectives. Um, but I think also just generally the industry has moved on. There's much more acceptance of asset management, for example, as a discipline. And, you know, there's also a lot more knowledge um, with the owners. You know, 20 years ago, a lot of um, owners didn't necessarily know institutional owners, et cetera, didn't really understand what hotels were. It was just bricks and mortar for them. Whereas I think now, um, whether it's through, you know, in-house asset management expertise or through externalized asset management expertise, owners generally have a much better understanding of what hotels do and the sort of fundamental differences between operational real estate and non-operational real estate. And I think what that means is that there's a, a lot more alignment in what they're doing even if there is still a fundamental difference in the priorities between an owner and an operator. So, you know, there's, at the, the most basic sense, they're all pulling the same direction as in if everybody wants to create as much profit as possible, in theory. But there are still some fundamental differences in that, you know, the owner wants to protect the value of the asset and enhance the value of its asset and his investment, whereas the operator is primarily interested in, in enhancing the value of its brand um, and keeping its customers happy. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap between those two, but there's not 100% overlap. So invariably, there are always some some discussions. I mean, I've just come off a call um, relating to one of my portfolios where we were discussing, discussing pit requirements. Um, and, you know, the, the, the operator obviously has, has a pit requirement. Um, which it doesn't have to. Ha- it doesn't have to fund. The, the the owner has to fund, and the owner might take a different view on what's required and what isn't. So we had some interesting discussions there. But in that particular call, actually, there was a lot of alignment on what was re- what needed to be done, what was reasonable, how it should be paid for, and so on and so forth. So you know, that's just one example. It's you know fresh in my mind because literally the call finished an hour and a half ago. Um, but it's I think it's indicative of the fact that there is a lot more alignment than there perhaps used to be but mm. obviously there's still you know plenty of plenty of areas for disagreement well of course that's what makes it interesting presumably it wouldn't be any fun otherwise yeah is it an easier sell asset management these days to owners um yeah i, th- I think it is um i think again you know it's a bit of a cliche but you know the us is always 20 years ahead of, of uk and europe um when it comes to sort of professional aspects of hotel keeping um, and so whereas it's been very accepted over there it's been less accepted here but I think that is changing I think this also reflects the difference in the makeup of our industry so you know in in, in the US we've got much greater dominance of um, branded hotels and, and hotels managed by 
either the brands or by third party white label operators than we have over here. Um, so obviously there's less, lead, less need at the moment for asset management here, but I think it's, it's definitely becoming more accepted, more common, um, and people understand what it is. I mean, we still, you know, we still come up with a certain kind of, well, I'm paying the operator to run the hotel, why do I need to pay you? And I understand that question, but there are lots of ways we can address trying to do that. I think there's there's also an issue with the, the water become becoming muddied with a lot of a lot of overlap between operation and asset management. And a lot of you know a lot of outfits which started out as asset managers actually moved into direct hotel operations. And then it's hard to kind of understand it, but that makes it quite hard sometimes for owners and other outside observers to understand quite what the different disciplines are and how they work and, you know, again, understanding the differences. Um, so I, I think it, it can be a challenge still, um, but I think anybody who understands really operational real estate can understand the value that a good asset manager has to bring. Hmm. Do you think kind of pushing the growth in Europe, um, would you say it's towards more asset management, that's being more driven by the sort of increasing growth of the brands over here, or is it by the increasing movement of the hotel sector into kind of a, as a mainstream asset class, so you're getting more pension funds and people who, groups who aren't kind of traditional hotel owners who need that extra assistance? What do you think would, would push it further? Um, I think it's probably, I think it's a mix of both, but I think it's, it's probably the latter. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, a lot of these pension funds and other institutional owners have, have, you know, it's relatively recent that they moved into, you know, what I term proper operational real estate. And again, you know, just at the risk of sounding very cliche, I, I always argue or, or, or tell people who don't understand hotels that, they, you know, they are actually really complex businesses. You know, we're not just selling widgets. Not that I'm, you know, trying to be rude to widget sellers, but, you know, the fact is hotels generally, certainly when you get into sort of full service hotels, bring together lots and lots of different areas, which all run in different ways. So, you know, you've got hotel hotel component to your business, you've got an F&B component, you might have a leisure component, you might have golf, you might have some retail, you might have all of these different things. And they all require different levels of expertise. They all run on different models. And um, I think unless you know and understand that and have any, any experience of that, it's easy just to assume that they run themselves. And again, you know, how many people have gone into the obviously not at the sort of international branded level, but how many people have gone into hotel keeping in their retirement thinking it was a, you know, an easy lifestyle kind of choice only to find that really it isn't because there's a, a lot to do and it's, it's hard work. Really, we should all be just watching Vaulty Towers for reasons why not to run yeah. hotels. Why, why hotels in retirement are not a good idea. Plenty of other things to occupy ourselves in retirement. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I used to uh, work at a pub slash hotel that was uh, a Whitbread branded one. That's neither here nor there. It doesn't mean I have my Whitbread silver qualification. Um, and uh, and that was run by retired diamond cutters from South Africa uh, who lasted about a year, but largely because exactly, but, <laughs> but largely because um, the the pub slash hotel was the oldest pub uh, in the New Forest. Um, they suspected it of being haunted. And they, oh, wow. lived, they lived above the shop and it became, you know, a little bit traumatic after a while, constantly having to go downstairs to see what was happening. And it, it'd be hauntings that were keeping you up at night because people don't realise that about hauntings. Do they? they think it's the terror aspect, but it's really it's the way it breaks up your sleep overnight. That's the, that's the irritant they found. 
Did you come across any floating ladies or anything like that? I didn't come across any floating ladies. They did see, they saw, they thought they saw someone serving at the bar a few times. Um, and that was the ghost. But I think probably that was just some of the other staff stealing from the bar. Common <laughs> <laughs> yes. problem. Is that going, oh, I'm haunted, haunted. <laughs> so. I, I think the other thing which has changed is just generally the, the sort of professionalisation of, of the industry and the way hotels are run. Um, you know, and that reflects lots of different things, you know, increasing use of technology, um, a kind of an adoption of proper management practices from other industries which perhaps weren't there 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Um, and I think that, again, means, you know, just echoes what I was saying earlier about them being complicated businesses and the fact that really you need lots of different areas of expertise in order to make sure that your operation is running as, as well as it can. And, you know, it, it's always difficult as an asset manager. I, I never like to suggest I'm going to be better at running a hotel than the operator I'm dealing with. Invariably, that's not true. I mean, apart from anything, I haven't been at the sort of coal phase of operations for you know, 25 odd years. Um, I've been a, an advisor for, for most of my career, although I did have quite an active operational career sort of early on. But, you know, the, the fact is there's um, lots of things which um, which change, lots of things which develop, and sometimes having an external person who has sort of a broad, um, a broad experience, and I suppose what, what people like myself do bring generally, because we work with lots of different clients across lots of different sectors of the industry, often in lots of different geographic locations, etc., is we can bring a broad overview, which sometimes an operator, even if they're a very experienced operator or perhaps a big international operator, doesn't necessarily bring. And the fact that you know you might have a big international operating name on the door doesn't necessarily mean that the team actually on the ground brings in all of that experience of the international operator, if that makes sense. It does. Makes total sense. I was intrigued when you were talking about your uh, your recent call and the discussion around pits. Where where are where are folks spending their cash these days? I think we could probably we could probably hazard a guess, um, and obviously this isn't this is your general opinion rather than than specific clients. But where where are the where are the pockets of of, uh, of cash being filled? Well, I think you know the industry is in a slightly different, difficult place at the moment. You know, having just come out of you know what was undoubtedly its most traumatic event ever, um, when literally everybody had to batten down the hatches and do what what they could to survive. I think, you know, basic spending on stuff like, you know, FF&E and maintenance and just keeping your hotel up to a good standard had to go by the wayside to, you know, to try and protect jobs and try and make sure that you could pay the bills and pay the rent and all these sorts of things. So as a result, I think certainly in, the, in, in, the, in some of the properties that I've dealt with or have been looking after, um, whilst they've done a, a fantastic job of coping with the challenges and they've certainly you know done what they needed to to or try and what they what they needed to to try and keep guests happy the fact is that in some areas a lot of operators have allowed um let's say more lenience than they might have done in the past when it came to things like brand standards and things like you know um uh, furniture and fittings and, and case goods and redecorations and all those sorts of things so um Equally, things you know, big things like you know, uh, 
central heating plants and all those sorts of things perhaps haven't had the same level of maintenance as they might have done in the past and so whilst you know they've done what they can to keep them going um they they haven't necessarily had the full kind of regular service that they might have had to do or whatever um, so I, I think you know certainly from my perspective a lot of the focus at the moment is on trying to make sure that we get things back up to a standard that they should be at and you know some of the discussions we're having uh today revolved around you know what's should some of this really be what we typically consider to be a pit or should it be just ffne um and again i think there's flexibility being shown having to be shown on both sides um just to reflect the fact that you know we've been we've been through very challenging times and people have you know if you like allowed flexibility to deal with those times and now they have to allow us more flexibility to get back to a place of normality and how does that come to fruition in terms of cash reserves? Because presumably if you've got a hotel that has had to dig deep into those over the last couple of years, um, and, and, and I know rates have been really good, particularly with the leisure market, um, but if those, if those cash reserves haven't quite come back up, um, that must produce quite, does that create quite a tricky conversation? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it can do, of course. I mean, very yeah, understanding understanding that PIP typically is the responsibility of the owner, not of the hotel operator. So the operator's cash reserves aren't necessarily um, the issue here. But certainly from an, an owner's perspective, an owner's return perspective, that's de- definitely an issue. Um, but uh, you know, again, you know, I have to be slightly careful about what I say. But certainly in in, in some of the conversations we've been having. Um, you know, there's a discussion had around, you know, understanding the difference between what's essential, mm-hmm. um, what's kind of nice to have, and what falls in the middle. Um, and I think probably a lot of people at the moment are keen to make sure that they catch up on kind of what is essential, you know, what should have been done previously and hasn't been done is kind of first priority. What needs to be done now and then what would be really nice to do but actually it could wait until next year or the year after or what have you so i think and, and always you know in my experience the operator is keen to as a sort of starting position is obviously keen to go for the sort of gold standard try and get in everything that they can and the owner it'll depend a little bit on, on the owner you know i've worked with some owners who are also keen to have the very best of everything and for whom money is no object I've also worked for owners who have to be a little bit more um, uh, sensible about things and take the view that actually it's not commercially necessarily the right thing to do that now. They accept that it, you know, it's something which needs to be planned for and done, but you know, maybe in six months or next year or the year after. It's a lot like as we as we gaze gaze ahead to the long weekend and next weekend's long weekend and then in two weekends' time another long weekend it's a lot like assessing what's essential what's nice to have and, and what's uh, um what's what needs to be done as you approach a glass of rosé essential some sort of snacks to go with it nice to have dinner mm, we'll just you know see how the first two trot along really that is my guide and you're welcome that is my guide to the asset management of friday wine and snacks it's better than my asset management by by it might heal itself DIY. 
<laughs> That's not proven that it won't work yet, though, is it? I can't see you really being able to go to owners and say, well, it's like this. <laughs> Just let itself heal. It will heal itself. <laughs> Again, I, I think certainly the owners we'll, we deal with, as I say, that they've mostly been really really clever and really pragmatic in trying to prioritise what needs to be done, making sure that um, guests were happy, also trying to make sure that their owners are happy. Um, because, you know, going back to your earlier question, I think there is a lot of pulling in the, in the same direction now, even if it's not always the case. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's in the owner, it's in the operator's interest to make sure the, the owner is happy and vice versa. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of certainly the big operators have, done their best to try and make sure that you know they they keep things on track but clearly there have been lots of areas lots of areas of pressure in terms of cost management and cash management and what have you uh, both for the owners and, and the operators and so that has been reflected a little bit in, in how things have been handled over the last you know 12 to 24 months but we're looking to try and redress that, that now and as i say get back to a place of normality Oh, normality. Love it. Lovely, lovely. Um, we, we, as we, as we uh, enjoy conversations with guests, we tend to ask, or we do ask, there's no tending about it, we ask people to share their most memorable hotel experience. Um, would you be so kind to share with the group? And, and people do listen to this, other, as, in addition to my mother, we're staggered to learn that people do actually listen to this podcast and thank you to everyone that does. Um, Patrick, what is your most memorable hotel experience? Uh, do you mean as a guest or as an operator? Well, uh, well I'm going to I'm going to just make a decision on that. And I'm I think say, you should. Yes. As an operator, and believe me, there are plenty, but most of them probably aren't fit for this particular audience and this particular um, time of the day. But one which I, I do always remember is back in my very early days of um, working in hotels. I was a duty manager in a very lovely country house hotel um, in in home ca- home counties. And we had a big event, a big conference. And the next morning, I started getting calls from housekeeping about issues with the state of the rooms. And the, the biggest issue was when they found a kipper stuffed into the trouser press and cooked in the trouser press. And needless to say, this was unpleasant and pretty stinky and kind of amazing, even though kind of part of me laughed about it at the time and I still laugh about it it was certainly a, a memorable thing and I think the way the general manager who was a, a, a lady of a certain age whose name I will not mention but who I had fond memories of and who came across as very unassuming um, certainly had a, a, a sort of iron fist in her the way she um, basically called the conference organiser in one of our, not quite her office, but one one of the small meeting rooms and sat her down and explained why, why this was unreasonable and what they were going to do about it. Kind of listening and taking this in, I, I don't think it will ever leave me. It was it was really quite extraordinary. Um, but the way I think, you know, just the way, some, you know, I'm a hotelier through and through, although I've been in consultancy for a long time, you know, my, my first love is operations. And I, I used to love working in hotels. Um, I love the sort of whole mine host thing. But I, I am forever amazed at how some people behave when they get to a hotel. I mean, as I say, I could tell you some stories which are, are not fit for this particular podcast. But, um, yeah, there are some lovely people out there, but there are also some people who just need to 
kind of have a reality check as what what's acceptable and what isn't. Was the conference organizer bemused that putting kippers in a in a trousers press was not acceptable behaviour? I, I wonder what the response was. Well, I think they they did accept that it wasn't acceptable. I think okay. you know, I think they first of all they kind of tried to deny that it had happened, but that wasn't really an option. Then okay. they tried to make out that you know it wasn't such a big deal after all, and they could you know they just paid to have the trouser press cleaned, and then eventually they were you know humbled by as I say the my, my general manager, and they had to kind of go away with their tail between their legs. As you'd expect, I mean, it is it is unacceptable to be honest. It is. I mean, not, it is on the classic five steps of atonement, which need to take place. Yeah, to be clear, it obviously wasn't the hotel. Sorry, the conference organisers' fault. No, it was the fault of a particular delegate. Although I have to say that you know that was just one example of a number of um, errors of behaviour which were pretty unacceptable. Well, there we go. I mean, we like we do like to anchor this podcast in a, in a learning at all points. So, just if anyone is 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 remotely contemplating kippers and a trouser press situation, don't do it. Don't do it. No. It's weird, though, isn't it? Because like kippers are pretty flat anyway. It works. It works. It worked pretty well. I mean, the one good thing now, and again, it ties into my discussion this morning, um, is that, you know, a lot of hotels don't have trousers press anymore. So it's, it's I bet they much, don't. I bet they it's, don't. It's probably it's a not much few most hotels have had to deal with. Mm. Well, yeah. perhaps this, this got on a grapevine somewhere and this was the beginning of the end for the trousers press. Um, uh, I have had a delightful, delightful time. Catherine, have you got any other questions or any other thoughts? Or Patrick, is there anything else? So many thoughts and questions now. Because... <laughs> I, I believe I'll have to go on eBay and buy my own trouser press. <laughs> <laughs> to conduct any experiments. Um, it was really hip, didn't it, to, to smoke things? A friend of mine smokes meats. Uh, home smoking. And I wonder where this is not, in fact, the next evolution. It so, might be. I've, I've got a smoker barbecue and it, it's, I haven't mastered it yet, but I'm, I'm keen to, to get it to work. But no, in terms of other things, I think um, just going back to, to the whole asset management thing, I think you know one area which is uh, a big challenge for hotels going forward and which as a result has to be a big challenge for asset managers going forward is kind of understanding and making use of um technology and what technology has to bring and that's a, that's kind of a big hobby horse of mine um because i i firmly believe that there's so much that technology can do to help um, help our industry uh, and we really only just scratch the surface of that going forward um oh, sorry we only just scratch the surface of that so far and i think there's so much more to be done and there are a number of areas where it seems to be maturing a little bit, although I'd stress a little bit. And then there are some areas which just really, I think most hoteliers aren't even aware of. Um, and I think just keeping an eye on that is um, going to be, uh, you know, take up a big part of my time going forward and trying to work out how technology can be used to help improve things like operational efficiency, um, not so much maximise revenue, although obviously that's a big part of it, but if anything, that's probably the area where technology has already been reasonably well adopted in terms of things like you know, revenue management systems, and those sorts of things. But I think there are lots of other areas, be it on, on the actual physical operations of hotels or um, behind, the scenes, behind the scenes systems, which will help um, hotels optimise what they do, bring down their costs and hopefully improve bottom line for, for the owners. Absolutely. That internet might just catch on. You never know. You, you never know. know. <laughs>
I don't know. Right. Um, well, that was just delightful. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us. It was it was a joy. Penguin, director, Clanalytics. I'm going to say it properly to end, and then everyone ends, everyone remembers the last thing you say, don't they? So you know, there you go. I got it right. Um, well, the last thing you said was I got it right. Yes. <laughs> And that'll do as my epitaph. That'll do. Exactly. <laughs> um, thank you, Catherine. Have a delightful weekend. What will you be doing to enjoy all three days of it? All I'll be doing to enjoy all three days, I should be going to the Lord's Bath and having my hair cut. That sounds like a fitting we'll, thing. We'll travel for haircuts. We'll travel for haircuts. We'll not engage services of an electrician unless absolutely necessary. Well, not. No, well, my money's going to the hairdresser. So. Exactly, exactly. So let's hope that self-healing comes into play. Sure, it'd be good. And if the haircut's really bad and it's really dark in here, it doesn't matter, does it? It's all worked out. It is all worked out seamlessly, like a plan. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us, Patrick. It was an absolute delight to see you. Uh, and thank you for imparting your wisdom and also top tips on trouser presses and kipper-related masses. You've written it down. It's written it down. Got to happen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Your ears are uh, always very welcome. Do share and like and subscribe and all those things that you need to do for podcasts. And join us again next time for another episode of New Tricks. Goodbye. Bye bye bye. bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time. <laughs>